0: Okay, so last week, um, you know, I started off this this series called Sorrowful Even to Death. Um, I was possibly going to make it a three-week series. We're going to make it a two-week series, um, just the third one, just felt a bit weak. And so next week, Pastor Peter will share. um, And so he's going to, I think, touch on, you know, what we're feeling again, but in a separate sermon. And so last week, I talked about um, Jesus' sorrows and this idea that there are such things as sinless sorrows. So Jesus had situ- situational sorrow, that he responded to the situation with emotion and he was quite emotionally kind of intense. And I was saying that's not sin, right? Just because someone is responding to a situation emotionally, um, they're trouble, they're in agony, doesn't automatically mean it's wrong or it's a sign of weakness or that it is sin, right? Clearly Jesus never sinned, but he's responding that way. And at the same time, I talked about severe sorrows, right? Jesus had this incredibly deep, Soul moving, sorrowful, even to death emotions, but that was not sin as well. And so there is no line that we go, okay, you cross this line in emotion, therefore you are sinning or you're weak. That's not necessarily the case. And kind of one of the main things I said was um, it's really about how we respond, right? How are we going to respond when those sorrows hit our lives, whether it's from a situation, whether it's just we wake up one morning and we're feeling the blues, whether it's COVID and we're just kind of in this state of sorrow, you know, how will we respond? I just want to start off with um, a quote from Piper or the title of the sermon is five steps and sorry, by the way. Um, and he says the first shock waves of the bomb in your heart, like the ones Jesus felt in Gethsemane are not sin. The real danger is yielding to them, giving in putting up no spiritual fight. And the root of that simple surrender is unbelief, a failure to fight for faith in future grace, a failure to cherish all that God promises to be for us in Jesus. In Gethsemane, Jesus shows us another way, not painless and not passive, right? And so this idea that, you know, it's not sin when we feel those emotions, but will we respond in faith? And so that's kind of what I want to talk about today. Um, I want to talk about five steps our Lord Jesus took uh, when the sorrows hit to combat against those sorrows and temptations. so we we'll look at these five things. They're crucial things that uh, we need to do as Christians whenever sorrow comes knock, knocking at our door. Um, but you know, for all of us, I think these are five things that we should build a habit of doing. Right? These are things that we should be doing anyway, right? To prepare for when sorrow comes. And so the first thing I want to say, and remember, there's five points. So I'll go through them kind of each quite quickly. The first is choose friends. Right? This is the first thing our Lord Jesus does. You know, when you uh, think about the ministry of our Lord Jesus. It's curious uh, that he never did any ministry by himself. Matthew, Mark, and John, they each record that one of the first things Jesus does after being baptized, right? He's going to start his ministry is to choose his disciples, right? That's one of the first things he does. He goes out and he chooses his 12. And then he spends, you know, the whole of his ministry until he dies with that group of people. Now, Jesus at certain moments of his ministry was followed by, you know, a lot of people, you know, 5,000 when he's feeding them with the bread and the the fish. Uh, First Corinthians 15 says that when he rose from the dead, he showed himself to 500 brothers or believers. And so that group of people, you could say are his disciples in a sense, right? They're his greater disciple. They're like the outer circle. And Jesus had like a relationship with that group of people. Uh, but we know that that's not his closest group. You know, he had a closer circle and that was made up of his 12. Right? There were the people he specifically, personally went to and said, would you drop everything? Follow me for the next three and a half years. I want you to spend every breathing moment with me. Right? And that's what they did. That's the 12. And we find them here in Matthew 26, the 12. Right? Jesus is with them. Right? Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here. While I go over there and pray. And so in the garden, in the time of agony, the disciples are with him in Gethsemane. And so out of the thousands or hundreds, Jesus has chosen these 12 to be numerically tighter, right? The smaller group, but also relationally tighter, right? They're closer to him than the hundreds of thousands, right? And that's kind of what we do, right? We have a lot of acquaintances, but then we have a smaller group of people that we are closer to. Right? And that's kind of what I'll say. You, you need to have these relationships, but also you need to have good friends. Now, what's interesting is if we keep reading, this is what it says. He just told his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Verse 37. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Right? So not only does Jesus have his close circle, the 12 but then he had an even closer circle of people, the three, within the 12. Right? These are his kind of really close uh, disciples. And, and it's kind of interesting because he's saying, "You know, I'm going to go over there and pray, but you, 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 you come with me. Right? And so he takes these three to be closer with him as he falls on his face and he begins to pray. Right? These are his closest three. Uh, you see them kind of pop up here and there. Uh, when he's transfigured in Matthew 17, Right? That's when he goes up into the mountain, his, his face shines like the sun, and then um, you know, Elijah and Moses pop out of nowhere. He takes those three again, and he leaves behind the nine. Right? So I just want to emphasize that even Jesus had these concentric circles of relationships, and when he gets into that really kind of low point, he reaches out to the, the closest friends or disciples. Right? It's simply unrealistic uh, for us to share everything, with everyone all the time. And even though we are a faith family, as a church, we want to maintain unity. We wanna love and invest into the whole. Uh, what's realistic is that you know, over time, we will create stronger bonds and relationships with smaller groups of people, right? That's just the, the fact of life, right? If we were a biological family and you had five people in the family, you might be able to be equally close to everyone but if that family, your your family, biological family, was like ten, then it would be hard to be as close to everyone, right? You'd probably form you know, closer friends, like relationships, in your siblings. And you know, that's just my assumption. Um, we we have a person with a family of ten, and so maybe we can ask eleven. Uh, we can ask him later. Um, but um, we have sixty, right? And so naturally, we're going to grow closer to some versus other. You know, as the church grows bigger, uh, we must continue to grow smaller. And that's where things like growth groups, uh, ministries, closer friendships comes into play, uh, especially when we hit times of sorrow, those smaller groups uh, will mean a lot. And that's especially important, again, in sorrow. Right? Jesus chose his closest three to be closest to him in his darkest moments. And it's natural that we would then choose our friends and seek them out in those low points. And so just one thing for us to know is that we need to value relationships. We need to be investing into them, even now, right? If, if you're doing well, um, then you need to invest into them now because when life gets hard, you can't just suddenly, you know, you want to be my friend? You can't just pick them out of nowhere. These are relationships that you would have built over time. Um, but the other thing is that while we're doing this, right, while we're investing into these kind of small friendships, we need to uh, manage the other side, which is uh, not create exclusion. And this is really hard for us to, kind of uh, do because you know i think i think we we do pretty well at um, making close friendships i think the struggle is that um, we want to create unity at the same time in the whole church and i don't know how jesus did it um, but you can imagine that the nine who are excluded could have felt jealous uh, but there's no real indication that they ever did feel jealous right even though jesus takes peter james and john to be with him at certain moments and so he managed that somehow Right. even though he's taking the three to see him transfigured, they, they, they never kind of voiced out that they were jealous about that. And um, you know, as we choose friends, right, we need to fight the other side, make sure we're not excluding anyone. And this is just really important. Um, if you're not feeling excluded right now, uh, you probably don't think about this. Uh, but for those who do feel excluded, especially in the church, this is all uh, we think about. Right? This, is all, this is all you see. Um, you know you're going out um, with your church friends you take an instagram or um, story or whatever the cool thing is sorry Um, and then you show it you don't think much about it but for those who feel excluded every time you see stuff like that right it's just a reminder that you know you don't belong or whatever and so yes we choose good friends but let's make sure no one is excluded at the same time the second thing Jesus uh, is invulnerable right so the second encouragement is be vulnerable Uh, Jesus takes Peter and the sons of Zebedee. And in verse 38, it says, Then he said to them, uh, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Now, we talked about this uh, phrase uh, last week. Uh, but Jesus, uh, he kind of pours out his heart to the three. He's really transparent, super honest. And this is really incredible because this is Jesus we're talking about. Uh, Jesus is their rabbi. He's their leader. And already so there's like a a barrier between them. And I don't know if you felt this when you lead a ministry or you're recognized as, oh, you know, that person is is a leader at the church. You you feel like you've got to pretend that you're perfect or you're better than you really are. And I I can imagine Jesus would have felt that so much more, right? He's not just their rabbi and leader, though. He's their Messiah. He's the savior of the world. He's the son of God. And you can imagine Jesus, if he's going to struggle, he's he's going to struggle by himself in private and not show you know what he's going through to his disciples but that's not what he does he he's very vulnerable and even says i feel like i'm gonna die right so even for us um though we may be leaders or you know the the temptation is to protect our reputation and image uh, we need to be able to be vulnerable to one another but jesus uh, was not um, so self-absorbed that he couldn't be honest about what he was going through Right. His majesty was matched by his humility. And so even though he was majestic and perfect and righteous, he was humble enough to share his struggles with you know, his disciples. You know, one of the things that, you know, people have brought up as I talk about mental health is that uh, we need to kind of normalize that conversation about mental health um, to take away the stigma of mental health in the church. And, you know, I think, you know, you, you I think we can tackle that in two ways. And one is from the side of the, the supporter or right? the person who's supporting people who are going through it. And that's not to, to not jump to conclusions, to not judge, et cetera. And I talked about that last week. Don't assume that because someone is you know, going through anxiety, they're doing something wrong. But I think the other side is from the side of the sufferer, which is just to be more vulnerable about what you're going through. Right? I think if we talk more about what we're struggling with, it'll normalize it in the church and we'd realize that what person A is struggling with is what person B and C and D are struggling with and it'll just become more natural for us to start to talk about it. Right? And so being vulnerable will help us kind of normalize these struggles that we're going through, but often keep secret. And again, this is where the concentric circles of uh, relationships come in uh, because you may not be able to share you know, to everyone about your deep struggles. But if you can find a smaller group of people that you're honest with and be vulnerable to, right, it'll be a great uh, help for you. You know, one key place that we can do this is growth groups, right? And that's kind of why we set it up. We want to journey together. And so if you are struggling, you want to be vulnerable, uh, you want to share and you want people to kind of help you, i uh, suggest growth groups um, this coming week. Uh, if you have the courage to do it, just to share what's going on in your life. The third thing that Jesus um, does is that he asks for prayer. And not only does he choose his closest circle, then he practices vulnerability with them. Uh, he then requests intercession from them. Right? He says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Right? Watch with me. And I know this wording doesn't make it clear that it's prayer, but if you go to verse 40 to 41, it kind of clarifies it. Right? Verse 40, Jesus goes to the disciples. He finds them sleeping. And then he says to Peter, could you not watch with me one hour? Okay, what does that mean? Verse 41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation, right? The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. So when Jesus says, watch with me, it means, you know, have my back. You know, would you pray with me? Would you intercede on my behalf? And again, if you think of anyone who didn't need intercession or didn't need to ask for it, it was Jesus. He could have easily said, I got this, you know. I'm, I'm gonna to pray to my father. You know, I, I'm good at praying. I pray in the morning. I pray late at night. You know, I'll, I'll pray by myself. Uh, but that's not what he does. Right? Even Jesus, he asks for intercession. Right? How humble is that? You know, when I think about why I don't ask for intercession, I think there's two reasons. And one is I overestimate my ability. Right? I, I think I can take care of it on my own. Right? Like I shared. You know, I, I'll pray about it. So don't worry about it. I got this. I'll pray, and you know, God and me. You know, we'll figure it out. Uh, but again, that's not what Jesus does. Even he asks for prayer and we should be humble enough to ask for prayer. Right? Not only do I overestimate my ability, but the second reason is I underestimate God's ability. Now, often I don't ask for prayer because like, for the moment, I don't believe prayer will do something. But right? if we really believed that person praying for me will accomplish something, I think we would ask for prayer much more often, right? We don't tend to ask for it because you know we think it's empty, etc. And sometimes when people say, you know, I'll pray for you, we think pff, like we don't think much about that because again, we don't think much of prayer. Right? I don't know if you've ever dismissed, you know, I'll pray for you as if it's empty. Right? Maybe that's because we think little of prayer. If we really believed in the power of prayer, right, despite our pride and despite our unwillingness to be vulnerable. I think we would ask people much more. Right? So Jesus in his darkest moment, he asked for prayer. But These first three, uh, you know, last week I said, speak to God and speak to others. These are really the speak to others part. Choose friends, be vulnerable, ask for prayer. Right? These are about you know, our relationship with people. And these next two are about us coming to God, right? speaking to God. So number four, what Jesus does is that he then goes and he himself wrestles in prayer. It says, going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You know, last week I said that the strength of a Christian is not in their absence of sorrow, but in their response to it. But how will your response to the sorrow that comes in your life? And the way Jesus responds to what is a incredibly like, intense uh, moment is that he prays. Right, in his most darkest hour, with his most darkest emotions, our Lord Jesus falls on his face and he prays. And I know we're probably thinking, of course he would. You know, that's Jesus, he's perfect, That's easy for him. Um, but I don't think that this would necessarily have been easy. Now, if you think about why Jesus is in agony, it's because of the Father. Jesus is thinking about what's coming around the corner, He's going to take the sins of the world, and the Father is going to judge him, uh, pour out his wrath on him, and he's going to condemn him, and Jesus will you know, die. And so you can imagine as Jesus is wrestling with, you know, am I going to obey the Father or not, that the last thing he'd want to do is pray. Because the last person he wants to speak to is the Father. Right? The, the pain and the agony is connected to the Father himself. And so it's not obvious that Jesus would pray. I actually think it would have been quite hard for Jesus to, in that moment, go to the Father. And yet that's what he does because that's what faith and I think strength of the Christian does. He continually goes back to the Father. You know, often one of the main reasons we don't pray is a very similar reason. When pain or suffering or sorrow comes into our life uh, and we connect it with, you know, the sovereignty of God or that God is in control, uh, we don't want to go to him. Uh, we don't like the pain and we don't like the fact that God's involved somehow. And so we turn our back and we run away. Right? And uh, one of the most vital things we need to do in that moment is, is not to turn our back, but to turn toward him, to find him and cling to him like our Lord Jesus did. Uh, this is very important for us to do. We, it might not happen immediately. Uh, it might take some time uh, for you to be able to pray uh, but you need to claw your, back into the pre- claw, claw your way back into the presence of God. You know, for the Christian, uh, prayer may not be all we do, uh, but it is the least we must do. Right? You might uh, battle your sorrow, anxiety, your trials, your struggles through other means, whether it's talking to friends, um, seeing a counselor, uh, making plans, uh, even uh, taking medication if it gets to that point. Um, but uh, the Christian should never give up on prayer right? Even if it feels like it's doing nothing. Because talking to friends and seeing counselors and all that stuff, um, non-Christians can do that. And what the Christian has that the non-believing world doesn't have is access to the Father. And right? that must make a difference somehow. And because we believe that, we come to Him over and over again. Coming to the Father, acknowledging that you know, despite all these other methods or means, He's the one that we ultimately need. Right? We need Him. Right. We trust in him and we want God to work through all these other means, whether, you know, counselors, psychologists, friends, etc. but God, you know, would you work through that to help? Me? Right. And so we need to make sure we never give up on prayer. I'm not saying prayer is a simple fix, uh, but especially because often it's not a simple fix. Uh, we need the shepherd to walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. Right. So Jesus, he wrestles in prayer. And last uh, he trusts, God. You know, this is kind of where we want to land at the end of the day. Uh, As we pray, as we wrestle, uh, we want to be able to say, God, I trust you in this sorrow. I trust your will. I trust your plans, but I accept it. I think only then can we really uh, get up and start to move forward. Uh, Matthew, as well as Mark, records Jesus praying three times. And the first time Jesus prays, this is what he says. It says, going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Right? What Jesus is praying here in that first prayer is, I don't want to drink the cup. Right? I, I, I don't want to drink it. And obviously, he's, he's not praying in a bad prayer because he's, he's got, if it be possible, and not as I will, but as you will, like on either side. So he's saying, at the end of the day, I'll do what you want, God. But what he's praying at the, in the middle is, but I, I don't want to drink it. Like, Can I please not drink this cup? Can I please not go to the cross? Can I please not die? But that's, that's what, he's, what he's praying. But as he wrestles, um, that's what he's saying. But then when you get to the second prayer, um, there's actually a shift in what he says. Verse 42, this is what he says a second time. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And I know that's like a subtle shift there, uh, but it's quite significant. Right? In the first prayer, he's saying, I don't want to drink the cup. But uh, by the second time he prays, he's saying, um, you know, I, I accept your will. Right? He's gone from rejecting God's will to accepting it and submitting it. But right? if this is the way, but right? if this is the way forward, let your will be done. But right. the first one was kind of like, I'll do it if I have to, but I don't want to. But the second one is, you know, but, but I accept your will. Right. I'll, I'll do what you want me to do. Right. If this is the way that you want me to go, then I'll accept it and I'll go for it. Right. You probably know that this is an echo of the Lord's prayer. Right? Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And the whole battle of the Garden of Gethsemane is hinging on this this point whether Jesus will submit to the will of the father and in joyful obedience, go to the cross. Um, And when we pray in times of sorrow, again, this is where we want to get to Uh, don't run away from God um, because you hate the pain and the sorrow. um, But in the place of prayer, as you wrestle, uh, accept God's will trust in God and say, yes, God, I, I, I accept this is your will. And then you're able to then walk with him and move forward. But only when you get to this point can you really begin to see the good that God's going to bring about it right? because you've accepted that this is God's plan. And we want to be able to pray this. Your will be done. Not through gritted teeth. Not because we, we reject it, but like, I hate it, but your will be done. Um, but you know, get to the place where you accept, you submit to what God is doing in your life. Where well, you're not fighting against God's will, um, but you're fighting for it. Right? That's where Jesus gets to at the end. right? If this is the way, your will be done, right? I will fight alongside whatever you're trying to accomplish, right? This is what we want to pray, and your will be done is one of the most kind of courageous things to pray, uh, but I think it's also one of the hardest things to mean, and in the place of sorrow, we want to be able to get to that place, right? And so we're we're choosing good friends, we're being vulnerable, we're asking them to pray for us, and then we wrestle in prayer so that we can get to this place, right? This is where we want to land. And so whatever the sorrow is, whether it's a loss of something, uh, whether it's just something emotionally that you're battling with all the time, um, whether it's a bad situation at work, right, all of these things, when we begin to trust right, and accept God's will, that's when we can you know, begin to walk forward and see God work um, for the good. And So the challenge really is to do two things like I shared. And the first three, uh, you can group together. This is about our relationship with one another. And the second two are about God, right? Choose friends, be vulnerable, ask for prayer. That's speaking to people. And the second one is speaking to God. Practice and wrestle in prayer and trust God. Um, let me just end with a story um, just to encourage us to be vulnerable. I, I think for us to be vulnerable to one another is one of the areas that we can really kind of work on and keep doing better within the church plant. I remember once I was leading a, a meeting in Mail Team. Um, um, the leader had asked me to lead the opening, sharing, praying, praise part. And normally, I don't know, you go for like 15, 30 minutes. We go around a circle. We share about how our weeks were. And we did that that week. And it, it was really quick. It was like, oh, yeah, I was okay. You know, work was a bit hard. Family's a bit tough. You know, it's super vague, super surface level stuff. And it went around, uh, ended quite quickly. And I remember because I was leaning, I was meant to then move on to the next thing, which I think was like closing prayer, sing a song. And I don't know why, but um, I just felt really strongly that like this was not okay. Right? Like, I could tell that we were just not being honest and stuff was going on, but you know, we were just not, not sharing much. And I paused and I remember saying someone like, you know, guys, I know some of us are really struggling, but you're not saying it. And we need to be honest with each other we're here for each other. so I'm just going to give like five minutes if anyone wants to share, you know, what they're going through. And I don't know if you've ever done that as like a great group leader or whatever. Like super awkward. You're twiddling your thumbs. You're counting to 100 in your brain. Uh, it's super awkward, long pause. And then, you know, someone starts to share. And I forget who it was. They start sharing. And as they start sharing, it's like really deep stuff. They start breaking down in tears. Um, suddenly everyone starts crying. Um, and that person finishes up. Uh, we pray for them and then someone else starts sharing what they're going through. And, and no joke. Uh, everyone ended up sharing something like everyone was struggling. Uh, everyone had something to share, but they were just like, not willing to share. Um, and what was meant to be like a 15, 30 minute sharing session. Like we didn't even dance that day. Um, and you know, we love to dance. Uh, we just spent the whole time sharing and praying for one another. Um, and I think that's the power of, um, just one person being vulnerable, right? It kind of breaks, breaks the, I don't know, the barrier. And, you know, the first tear, the first snot dribbling out of someone's nose, you know, kind of everyone is then able to share. And, you know, I just want to encourage us to kind of be vulnerable to one another about what you're going through. Because again, I'm sure through COVID, a lot of us are struggling, um, but it's kind of beautiful um, when we're able to share, you know, despite the tears and the snot. It's like disgustingly beautiful, right? Uh, When everyone is able to be vulnerable and honest. And I think that time we were the most honest to one another. And then when we prayed, I think we prayed most passionately to God because we knew that we were praying for one another and doing the journey together. And so again, if you're going through sorrow, these are the five things that I think we can see uh, that Jesus does. And these are the five things that I want to encourage you to do. Choose friends, be vulnerable, ask for prayer, and then wrestle in prayer and trust God. Okay, so these are the questions um, we can go through. Uh, In times of sorrow, do you find it easier to speak to God or speak to people or both? Why? And then which of these five steps do you have the most room to grow in? Uh, Can can you take a photo of these? Because I actually don't have it to post in the chat. I forgot to type it up. So if you're going to share those, or you can just try to remember it. All